let me begin with a brief introduction, as many of you do not know who I am. I grew up as a Southern Baptist in Western Oklahoma. I was an organ major in college, and my teacher required his students to play one Sunday at the local Episcopal Church. I doubt if he could get away with that today. In any event, I went and I played the service, and when I walked into the doors of the St. Paul's in Clinton, Oklahoma, I knew I was home. I couldn't spell Episcopalian. I didn't have a clue as to what they believed, but I knew I was home. One year later, I was confirmed, a class of one. It was a very small church on a Wednesday night. By Sunday, I had been licensed as a chalice bearer, a lay reader, appointed to the College Ministry Commission, and elected to fill a vacancy on the vestry. <laughs> it was a small church, and I was flesh, fresh blood. About three years ago, I retired from St. Paul's in Rochester, New York, and moved here to Indianapolis in December of 2014. I had previously served on the staff of Christ Church Cathedral, so I've known All Saints for almost 20 some odd years, and Tom Hondrick and Gordon Chastain are two very dear friends. Since moving here, I've been attending All Saints, and I thank Suzanne for inviting me to preach. Now, whether by design or accident, she may have given rise to a new TV reality show, The Tom Tom Show, because <laughs> Tom preached last week and now I'm preaching another Tom, though I doubt if NBC is going to pick it up. So on to the sermon. The book of Acts is an anonymous book, even though the tradition of the church is to assert that the evangelist Luke wrote both the gospel that bears his name and the book of Acts. There is, however, no definitive proof one way or the other of which I am aware. At the heart of Luke's message in Acts, and I'll refer to, uh, to the author as Luke simply because it's easier to do so, at the heart of his message, is his belief that God has a plan of redemption, a plan that is fulfilled in Jesus, a redeeming plan freely offered to all, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And it is the extension of redemption to the Gentiles that is made abundantly clear in today's first reading. Luke packs a lot of information into this very short story. In two sentences, Lydia is clearly identified as a head of household, owning her own home in her own name. 
there is no mention of a husband. And she is a successful businesswoman. Only the wealthy could afford to wear purple clothing. And thus, as an owner of such a business, Lydia would have been a woman of means, a woman who moved easily among the rich and the powerful of her city. Lydia was also a worshiper of God. On this particular day, she was at a place of prayer. Paul arrives, sits down, and begins to speak to the women gathered there. Lydia eagerly listens to Paul's message of salvation. And she is baptized along with her household and then invites Paul and his companions to her house. In this act of grace, in this act of grace, Lydia becomes, I believe, the first Gentile convert to Christianity. In this act of grace, we have the center of this remarkable story, the intersection of human longing for God and the divine initiative of redemption. But how did we get here? I wish that I had had the foresight to add a few earlier verses to this story. Just before this reading, we find in Acts how the Holy Spirit has stopped Paul from preaching in Asia and stopped him from going to Bethania. So Paul and his companions find themselves in Troas, and Paul has a vision. In Luke's world, the Holy Spirit plays a significant role. The Holy Spirit for Luke is present sometimes by divine communication and other times by heavenly vision. Both of these are somewhat problematic for us who live in the 21st century. How many of you have recently had a heavenly vision? And more importantly, if you had one, did you share it with anyone? We may indeed be bothered, if that is the correct word, with having visions, but I think it's even more troubling to acknowledge that to someone else. And the same is true for divine communication. When I was in seminary in, at the Church Divinity School of the Pacific in Berkeley, California, and wrestling with whether or not God was calling me or leading me into the ordained ministry, I often thought how much easier it would be if I could simply go downstairs to the mailbox, reach in, and find a letter from God, open it, and discover something like, Dear Tom, I'm calling you into ministry. Please RSVP by Tuesday. 
In Luke's world, heavenly visions and divine communication are regular events. But note, this heavenly vision is not otherworldly. Paul's decision to travel to Macedonia is brought into being through another human being, a man who stands before him and pleads for help. A couple of years ago, I flew to Nashville, Tennessee to share in the festivities surrounding the retirement of Jeffrey Butcher from Christ Church Cathedral, Nashville. I traveled from Rochester to Chicago, arrived safely, only to discover that there were incredible storms and flooding in Nashville and we were not able to take off until some six hours later until the storms cleared the city. My reasons for wanting to be with Jeff go back some 44 years. When Jeff hired me to be his assistant organist at St. John's Cathedral in Albuquerque without ever hearing me play. With his encouragement and those of others, I went there from, sem from there to seminary with the intention of becoming a better church musician. I reasoned that having the same background as my rector would enable me to be on an equal footing with him or her in creating good liturgy. Just before my final year in seminary, I reached the conclusion that God was calling me to the ordained ministry. When I shared this decision with the Bishop of Rio Grande, with the Dean of the Cathedral and with Jeff, they all without hesitation said, we've known it all along, we've just, just waiting for you to recognize what God is doing in your life. I know firsthand what it is like to hear divine communication and to have it made present in the form of living human beings. Without Jeff's presence in my life, and his witness to the living, loving power of God, I would never have become a priest. Now I want to underscore one verse in this story. We immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. The rest of the Acts of the Apostles hinges on that single sentence. Now a word of caution. Luke may tell his story in rather black and white terms, 
Paul wants to go one way, the Holy Spirit wants him to go another way, and God and Paul goes where the Holy Spirit leads him. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to guide and empower us in our witness to God's loving grace. I also believe the decision-making process is a bit more complicated. In its simplest form, I have A or B to choose from. I choose B, which turns out not to be the best choice. So God gives me C and D to choose from and so on until, well, you get my point. The Holy Spirit is intimately involved, but so am I in the process. Back to the story. Without this vision, without this communication, without this guiding by the Holy Spirit, this meeting between businesswoman and missionary might never have happened. And yet, in the almost unexplainable convergence of human faithfulness and divine guidance, Paul and Lydia and the Holy Spirit working together, there is this chance meeting by the river. Paul would not have probably been guided to this place at this moment were he first not of all open to God, open to being guided in one direction and open to be guided away in another direction. Lydia would not have arrived at this place or this time had she not first of all been a worshiper of God, a seeker already on her way. Paul does his part, Lydia does her part, but it is God who guides all things and works in and through all things, not just for good, but for what otherwise would be impossible. It is the Spirit who brings Lydia to Paul so that she can hear the gospel. Again, I want to, voice a vo uh, I want to have a voice of concern here. There is nothing coercive in this story. God wants to lure Paul God wants to lure Lydia. God wants to lure you and me to the good. God desires nothing less than the good for each of us. And God does so by presenting us with options, with possibilities, which we are free to choose or free to ignore. And yet, when we choose poorly, and we will, 
God does not leave us. God gives us more options. God gives us more possibilities. The Holy Spirit is speaking. Then and now. Speaking to each of us. On that day long ago, there at the riverside, Lydia found the God who was finding her. Today, wherever you are in your journey toward finding God, God is already seeking you. And God is ready and eager to find you. We believe. 